Why do you suppose I'm emphasizing community? Huh? It's important. But why? So we are. We're, we're, a community. we're a community, right? How many know that, that, that you can like kind of take community for granted? Take relationships for granted? Take God for granted? I mean, that's part of our human dilemma. That's part of the, the, the struggle uh, for us as, as believers is to always keep in front of us and, and keep rehearsing and refreshing what are my priorities because the, the, the tendency, humanly speaking, is to kind of take time out. Does that make sense? So we're on community, and what is, if you could say one particular thing, one particular dynamic in our church was, a, was, was speaks of community, what would you say that would be? Thank you. Somebody had the answer. Say it again. Mini church. Oh. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands of who are, who's not in mini church. Well, we have a guest this morning. But she's already been assured if she comes six times in a row. Pat, you told her already, right? No, I thought you did. No, no. I'm trying to delegate. How long have you been with me? Why, do you, why, why would you suppose that I would encourage people to be involved in a mini church? Is it a waste of time? No. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a religious exercise. Uh, is there any purpose to it, any value to it, do you think? How many would say there's value to be in mini church? Keep those hands up. I want to see all the hands. I want to see, I want to see who's not raising their hand. Get those hands up higher, Ron. And Ron Belts and his wife are going to open their house to mini church, right? That's what I thought. No pressure. We need each other. It's not enough to be in church. You know, if, if you're just in church on the weekend, on Friday night or Saturday or Sunday morning, then you're, you're experiencing half the church. You've got to be in some kind of small group environment. At the very least, a discipleship environment. But more particularly, a larger mixed venue where you get really to, to have the opportunity to express love and to receive love from, from a mixed, mixed environment. So I want to encourage you. Join a mini church. Join a mini church. And when I'm done with this community issue, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on ministry. I'm going to be talking to you about what's your ministry. And most Christians are clueless. Uh, Jan Jordan's back visiting with us. Jan was part of our church since nearly its inception, right, Jan? And I did his and his wife's premarital counseling and married them. They were the only couple I told at the end of our counseling. They said, well, what do you think? Give us your best appraisal. I said, you'll never make it. (laughs) They're the only couple that proved me wrong. (laughs) Still happily married and 12 kids. (laughs) Jan's out here on on business visiting, so. But... uh, the, the point is, I want to make is that, is that he's, he's telling me about 
the churches that he and Nancy have visited and been part of since the, how long have you been gone? You guys have been gone from hope? 12 years have been gone from hope. So in 12 years, in their, in their travels and they're visiting other churches, uh, th- this is a constant refrain. He came up to me this morning and said, there's no place like hope. Now, he was raised here spiritually, so it will always be home. But the reality is, in most of all these other churches, very, very few pastors uh, or, or, or pastoral staffs will actually trust the congregation with ministry. And you know, of course, we just give it to everybody to do, right? So you have to be able to say, you know, what is my ministry? How has God gifted me? Where do I fit in the body of Christ? Because if you're not functioning in some kind of ministry, either in a formal sense or, 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 or just in an informal sense, and we'll talk about those things later on, then you're missing an opportunity, terrific opportunity for your own personal growth. And then lastly, we're going to jump on evangelism. We have... How many tracks do we have left? Where's Steve? Steve's supposed to be in here. I'll speak to him later. He's out on the street, out, out on the street passing out million-dollar checks. If he's not in here, he better be out there passing out million-dollar checks. That's where we're going. These are, these are critical dynamics to the life of the church and more particularly to a local church. And how many know that I have a ministry of reminding? Yeah. <laughs> now, I want you to all take notes this morning. I know some of you don't like to take notes, but I want everybody to take notes because there's going to be a quiz at the end of the message. Yes, and I'm particularly going to be watching for those who are not writing. Part four, the priority of community. Now, last week it was at a pastor's conference, so Bruce stepped in for me, and, and he did a very commendable job, I understand. But when we left off two weeks ago, I was doing the, the priority of community part three, and does anybody remember what the emphasis of that particular message was? Love. It was love. If... if if we purport to be the community of God, if we purport to be the body of Christ, what is characteristic to God? Love. First John says that God is love. So if He is love and we are His people, we are His body on earth now, we are the embodiment of the living God, then what ought to characterize our lives and our fellowship? Love. So I want to continue with that theme with you this morning. Now, again, I want to ask you this question. I think it's in your notes. How is the reality of God to be seen among us? How is the reality of God to be seen among us? By His love. By His love. As the church grows as a community of love, The reality of God is seen more and more and more and more clearly. Does that make sense? Again, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, God is love. His very nature, He is love. He, he by, 
by the fact that that's what he is, he must express himself, he must express his nature that way. The very nature of the Trinity, the Godhead, three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very nature of the Trinity may be described as a community of perfect love. Other people should be able to look at our fellowship. They should be able to look at our fellowship of love and say, that is what God is like. In, in more and more and more substantial ways, Christians ought to be seriously reflecting, portraying, evidencing the very love of God. People look at the, at the fellowship. They look at Christians. And they, they know that these people purport to be the very people of God. And they say, that must be what God is like. Because we say that we are His people. Just like you, you know, parents who have who, their children. You, you tell your children, I told my son, you're my son. You reflect back to me. I want you to live your life in such a way as to evidence respect and honor back to me as your father. And so the same thing is God expects us to reflect back to him the very things that make up his nature. God's love among God's people may I suggest to you, is the most convincing arguments for the truth of the gospel. More people have come to the knowledge of Jesus, more people have become believers because of the love that they've experienced from other believers. You don't have to beat people over the head with the Bible. You speak to them in love, you speak to them in truth. You evidence a loving life loving attitudes, a transformation. If you are a Christian, you must of necessity express this. If you are not, you have some basis to question whether or not you are a Christian or or you're living simply in abject rebellion. Now, paradoxically, the more deeply we commit ourselves to loving fellowship with others the more we open ourselves up for what? Hurt. That's right. Not enough just in human relationships. But more particularly, Christians, we're called to to, to go beyond that which is the norm for human beings. We're taught and, 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 and commanded to serve others, to put others before ourselves, to be willing to lay our life down for others. And when we engage in that kind of loving fellowship, we automatically open ourselves up for grief, disappointment, hurt. And why is that? Well, simply as sinners, we all shall fail one another again and again and again. That's just a simple reality. But another reality is that we don't allow that to stop what we're we're committed to. We just will not quit. We're not going to give up. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul when he was, in Acts chapter 17, when he was beaten up, dragged out, left on the, on the trash heap for dead. And his compatriots came and found him and revived him. 
he got back up and went back into the city. He would not give up. Beloved, you and I must evidence that same kind of tenacity and strength of of commission and purpose. Yes, we're going to be hurt. Yes, we're going to be discouraged. Yes, we're going to be let down. But that doesn't mean we give up. That doesn't mean we quit. We're involved in spiritual warfare. Clearly. But the battle belongs to whom? God. He says, if you'll trust me and if you'll go by faith, if if you'll engage the battle, I will go before you. So we're going to fail one another. And yet as we accept with love and understanding the frailties, the foibles, the weaknesses, the irritating habits that may try our patience, the sins that we have to forgive, as we embrace and engage these things, we shall be fulfilling the very law of love. John chapter 13, Jesus said, I give you a new command. And this is the law of love. He says, love one another. Well, well how, Jesus, how shall we love one another? As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Wow, that, 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 that really narrows it down, doesn't it? As I have loved you. So shall you love one another. And then he says, when you do this, verse 35, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People are going to know. They're going to see. They're going to be attracted. They're going to, they're going to want to, to, to also be part of the family. We shall be fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. Now, how, how can we describe the nature of this extraordinary quality of love? Now, the, the, the Greek word is agape. It's I'm coined a phrase here, Jesus love. How can we describe the quality of this Jesus love? Well, I've assigned a number of qualities, and I think you'll see how they are very... Um, Apropos, this is where I want you to pay particular attention. First of all, Jesus' love, it is sincere. It's sincere. In other words, it it has an open heart and an open hand. It knows nothing of manipulation. It knows nothing of deceit. It's sincere. It's not phony. It's not pretense. Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. Now, when someone loves you, do you want it to be sincere or do you want it to be feigned? Pretend. When they say, I love you, do you want to believe that, right? Or do you go, well, I'm not sure. 
Which, 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 which would you prefer? Yeah, you want to believe it. You want it to be sincere. Do you really love me? And we often ask that because we're not sure. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter writes, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, that's simply tantamount to now you've become saved, now you're a believer, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. The implication is if you are a true believer, you have sincere love. God puts his love into our hearts, Romans 5, 5, by the Holy Spirit. He says, since this is true, love one another deeply from the heart. Not a surface love. Deeply from the heart. So ask yourself, how sincere is my love? How sincere is my love? Grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. There's no 10s, you know that. Hardly any 9s. Maybe an eight and a half here and there. Mostly sevens and sixes. And then goes down from there, right? So grade yourself right now. How sincere is my love? Do I love deeply from the heart? And not just those who are easy to love. Okay, second. Jesus' love is generous. It's generous. By that I mean it's marked by the sacrificial giving of time, money, energy. Whatever resource God has given you, not to indulge yourself, but to what? To share with others. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And a little background. The the Corinthians, uh, Paul has sent word to all the churches that the the suffering saints in Jerusalem need help and support. So he's going to take a collection amongst all the Gentile churches to help support the Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. What a great way to to tie the, the church together. And so the Corinthians were, were among the very first to say, count us in, we, we're, we're going to participate in this offering. But it's been a year since they've made their commitment. They haven't gotten around to actually coming across with the goods. So Paul writes them this second letter. And in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, he reminds them of the Macedonian churches, amongst which were the Philippians. These were... Dirt poor people. And he says to them, he says, Brothers, we we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So he tells them, he says, the Macedonians, they, they gave beyond their ability to give. They pleaded with us. 
They were passionate about uh, being generous in this particular offering. Now, <coughs> excuse me, verse 8, he says to them, he says, Now, I'm not commanding you. This is not a command. Love shouldn't have to be commanded, should it? To do something. And we know that Paul will say later on in chapter 9 that, that God wants all men to give freely of their own choice, not under compulsion, because God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful. Cheerful. So when we give our time, when we give of our energy, when we give of our money and so forth, God wants to see us doing it cheerfully. So you only do it cheerfully if you really love the object of that which you're giving to. Does that make sense? Not grudgingly. All right, I'll give. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, who are the others he was going to compare the sincerity of their love with? The Macedonians. That's why he's already, he's already, he's already explained it. He said, look at these guys. And he says, for you know, and then he, and then he points them to Jesus. He says, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's not only the Macedonians. I want to point you to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has saved you. Though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, that through his poverty you might become rich. And then in the last verse of the chapter, verse 24, he says, Therefore, show these men the proof of your love, in other words, when the, when the men come, when the, when the, the leaders come to, to take the collection, you show them, you demonstrate to them the uh, uh, proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. In other words, Paul's been bragging on the Corinthians. Don't let me down, man. Don't let me down. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, John writes this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, how generous was God's love? He says, since, since God loved us, how generous was God's love? We have to back up into the previous verse. In the previous verse, he says, verse 10, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How much did God love us? This much, right? This much. He gave everything. He gave his most precious possession. He didn't just kind of look around in heaven and, and, and look for some old angel who wasn't doing anything. <laughs> Say, well, you know, come here, Sam. I'm going to give you. You're not doing anything. No, he gave his very best. The implication is this. He loved us so we should love. Our love should be extravagant. It should be generous. And it's expression. Well, I, I don't want to give the time. It, it just... <laughs> Jesus' love is active. It's active. So many people don't understand this. They're passive. Jesus' love is active. It backs verbal expressions with action. 
Kishana was telling me about her husband, Javelin, and, and she's explaining to me how much he loves her and how he's telling her all the time he loves her, he loves her. But he doesn't just tell her, he shows her. He demonstrates his love. He has all my admiration. Just amazing. To hear a wife speak so glowingly, so wonderfully of her man, blesses me. <laughs> Good going. Good going, Javelin. Proud of you, buddy. You're a model to all of us. I'm going to have you teach the men. Okay? It's active. First John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. How many times are we here? Love you. Love you too. Love you, love you too. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that does that? Love you. Love you too. And, and we, just, we just slip into this passive mode. How much more so should we be active in our love, demonstrating, showing, proving I love you? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. I love this verse. The writer of the Hebrews says, God is not unjust. How many are thankful for that? He is not unjust. He will not forget. Now notice the words. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. So as we demonstrate our love for Him, how do we demonstrate it? By helping His people. By going out of our way for His people. For one another. God, I love you. How many have said, God, I love you? And it just falls right there. I love you, God. Okay, you love me. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to show that? I'm going to serve your people. I'm going to serve your church. I'm going to, Lord, I want to bless you by how I live my life in your context of your community. Is this... Am I, am I saying anything new? So I'm repeating stuff that we already know. Don't, now, don't doze on me. You don't say, well, you know, I've already heard this. I mean, it bears repeating. Would you agree? Yes. Jesus' love is forbearing and forgiving. It is forbearing and forgiving. In other words, it turns a blind eye and a deaf ear to the faults of others. Oh, my. A blind eye and a deaf ear to the faults of others. How would you feel? You really messed up. Just messed up. And you know that others know it. And they know that you know that they know it. You get what I'm saying? And so you brave coming into the fellowship. You brave going back to mini church. Everybody knows, and they just love you. Would you rather have that, or would you have them say, What do you think? Yeah. What good is it going to do to beat you up? I'd much rather love you. You're going to be much more attracted by love than anything else. And chances are I'm going to be able to, to capture your heart or recapture your heart and keep you so that maybe you won't go wandering off again because you feel loved. 
That which you were seeking elsewhere, you found here in its true form. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You see, there's an order, there's a progression of events there. You you can't bear with other people in love unless, first of all, you're willing to be humble and gentle and patient. Completely humble. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says the same thing. Different words, verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now notice this. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now all that is first. Then comes, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. You can't bear with each other. You can't forgive grievances unless you have first clothed yourself with these qualities. And he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these qualities, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Forbearing and forgiving. Jesus' love is also unifying. It's always working to to bring people together, to resolve conflict, to bring about peace. Genuine peace. When you love, you are working for reconciliation. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians, we have a ministry, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Philippians 2.2. He writes, make my joy complete by being like-minded, like-minded as Jesus. If you understand the whole Philippians chapter 2 passage. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Unity there. Love is unifying. Love does not separate. It unifies. It brings people together. Colossians 2.2. Paul writes, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Do you see how love unifies? You don't have to argue with people. You just begin to love them. And when you love people, God, God works in that context. His Spirit works in that context and does things that you and I could never, ever accomplish on our own with all of our machinations and all of our human efforts and and, and, and efforts. Thank you. Stuck for a word there. Jesus' love is positive. It's not negative, it's positive. You heard the analogy of the look at life as a cup half full or half empty, right? As Christians, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love and call according to his verse. We should be delirious. Life should be, everything should be what? Half full cup. Whoa, it's me. Oh, you don't understand how bad things are. When you love and you are loved and you know you are loved... You have a basis there to be positive. Jesus' love is positive. It believes the best about others. It believes the best about others. It doesn't expect the worst, and it doesn't fear the worst. 
The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Yeah, but if I, if I don't rebuke them, they're just going to go on sinning. Just love them. They can't fight love. You put them in God's hands. Your job is to love them. It's positive. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Familiar passage to many of us, most of us. Verse 4. Love is. Love is. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I love this last part. Love never, ever, ever, what? Fails. It never fails. Now, you know, you can take and replace the word love with the name Jesus, can't you? In that very passage. Let's just read it that way. Jesus is patient. Ooh, how many like that? He is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Thank you to that one. And he keeps no record of wrongs. Whoa, yes. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Isn't that beautiful? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and put your name in there. Read that passage with your name. Ready, set, go. Find somebody to read it to. Come on, Chewie, I want you to read that, man. Put your name in there. Anybody choking yet? <laughs> Jesus' love is sensitive. Jesus' love is sensitive. It is careful not to say anything or do anything that will cause another to stumble. It's sensitive. I'm sensitive to those around me. I want to be sensitive and more sensitive. I do not want to cause you to stumble by what I say or what I do. I don't want to cause it, cause you trouble in your life. I don't want to cause you to be grieved or to, to, uh, to sin. Romans chapter 14, verse 15. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat. Now the, the, the context is eating meat sacrificed to idols. It's here, it's in Corinthians, a couple other places. It's a principle. 
In the early church, or in the, in the early ancient Near East, the, in these pagan worship practices, part of their worship was that they would sacrifice meat to idols, the food. And then that, because the idols couldn't eat it, then the priest, the pagan priest, would take that and sell it. They'd make a little profit off the worship. So here you are, you're a pagan worshiper, you bring all this stuff, it's on the altar, it's off into the, the pagan idol, the idol doesn't eat it, you go home, now the priest is left with all this stuff, what's he do? He takes the market and sells it. So here you are, you're a Christian, you come shopping, and you see this meat in the marketplace, and you buy it, but you know in the back of your mind, this was meat that was offered to an idol. But you know there's no such thing as real idols, it's no big deal, so you can buy it and eat it. But now, come shopping with you, a young, immature Christian says, oh no, that's meat offered to idols. You say, ah, no sweat. We, we can buy it. We can eat it. That may cause him to stumble. So you say, you know what? We're not going to touch that. Even though I have every right to do it. Even though I know that it wasn't really a big deal. But to you it is. And if it's a big deal to you, it's going to be a big deal to me. Are you, are you tracking with me? Yeah. See, that's love, isn't it? I'm not going to insist on my rights, as so many people. I have my rights. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Galatians 5.13 You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Christ came to set me free. But my, my freedom is not just to indulge myself and have my way and do what I want. I have to conduct myself freely in the context of community. And, and as I do that, I must be sensitive to those around me. Jesus' love is upbuilding. I had to make up a word. I tried to get it to work. It didn't work, so I said upbuilding. Jesus' love is upbuilding. The truth may wound, beloved, but speaking the truth in love will heal and edify. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Paul warns Timothy, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, it's community. Hang out with those people who are seeking God. Don't hang out with the, with the periphery people. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in, in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see, it's all, it all speaks to this principle of upbuilding. Whatever we do, we want to, we want to do and say things and live our life in a way such that we evidence uh, a love that really 
focuses on building people up, restoring people. Is your love upbuilding? Or are you trying to prove a point with somebody? Have your way. Well, I'm going to tell them. Someone needs to put that person straight. Oh, good. Let it not be you. (laughs) You see, Jesus' love... When you examine it, when you look at it from these contexts, Jesus' love summarizes all that we believe, all that we do as Christians. Paul writes in Romans 13.10, Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It encompasses everything. Paul echoes that same sentiment again in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. I'm just a noisemaker. There's so much emphasis today in in so many churches about speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues. And and, and it's the peripheral issue. The core issue is love. And if I don't have love, I'm nothing but a noisemaker. I'm just making noise. I'm just filling the space with noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I haven't love, I am nothing. It reminds me of Jesus' words at the the end of chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, Many will come to me and many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and that and the other thing? And, And Jesus said, Away from me, you evildoer, never did I know you. Knowing somebody implies relationship, love. You didn't love me. You just did stuff. So you were successful. You weren't fruitful. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender even my body to the flames, but have not love, it's a giant goose egg. Nothing means nothing. I can give my life. I can sacrifice myself. I can be heroic in that sense. I can give away everything I have. But if I don't have love. Beloved, to strive for these qualities in our own strength is humanly impossible. It's humanly impossible. But when you are forced to depend upon the Holy Spirit, God's grace will be sufficient for us and we will be able to do everything through Him who gives us the strength. Amen? Some wrestle with this whole idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. How many would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We're filled with the Holy Spirit continuously. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 518 says, be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? How does one be kept filled with the Holy Spirit? You just get out of the way. You just get out of the way. Implicit in that is humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He'll lift you up. In other words, you humble yourself. With respect to love... 
it requires, if you're really going to love somebody, <laughs> that you have to humble yourself, don't you? Is it? I don't want to do this. I don't feel like loving them right now. But Lord, I know this would bless you. I know this is right. Okay. Here's the key. The minute you make that decision, you humble yourself to God's will. You humble yourself under God's mighty hand, as Peter says. And you take that step of faith to genuinely love Right then, the power of God comes to bear. You step across that decision line. That decision line, man, that's the biggest line in the world, isn't it? It's only that wide, but it looks like a gulf. You'll never be able to get across it. But as soon as you, by faith, God, I know I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do this because you say it. I want to honor you and you love me and I'm going to love this person as you've loved me. Okay, God, I'm going to do it. <laughs> but I'm doing it trusting that you're going to fill me. Now, the Holy Spirit's already there, isn't he? He's already present. He's there with all of his equipment. We didn't get a stripped-down version. We got the Holy Spirit with all the goods. The problem is we have to get out of the way. That's where you humble yourself. You say, yes, Lord. Boom. You want to know his power? You want to be full of the Holy Spirit? You want to know real love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? You want to know those things? That's the secret. Get out of the way. That simple. Anyone who is willing to be a disciple of Jesus in the context of community, anyone who's willing to do this, I promise you, you will know tears, you will know discouragement, you will know grief, you will know sorrow, and even at some points, despair. Don't think that it's going to be a ride on a pink duck. That's reality. But through the ashes of our failures can emerge the, if you will, the phoenix, you know, the, the bird that rises from devastation, that mythological bird, can emerge the phoenix of a fresh new quality of love, God's love. You try, you try, you try, you fail, you fail, you fail, you're discouraged, you're discouraged, you're hurt, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I heard Pastor Zach, I'm trying this, it's not working. You don't quit. Because through all your failures is going to rise this glorious love of God birthed in you. Birthed in you. And you will be assured of His constant grace and love and forgiveness. And you will be lifted out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Bonhoeffer was right when he stressed the impossibility of Christian community without agape. It's impossible without God's love. Remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer? I mentioned him a couple weeks ago. He wrote a book. He wrote a number of books, but I recommended one too. How many got it? 
Anybody remember the name of the book? Oh. <laughs> if you haven't read this book, we're talking about community. You need to get this book and read it. It's a classic. Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It'll impact you like never before. Order it from the bookstore. Put a down payment on it. Make sure you buy it. He stressed the impossibility of Christian community without agape and the destruction of that community if the inadequacy of human love is not clearly recognized. You cannot have community simply with human love. It's not strong enough. It's not substantial enough. In many, many fellowships, small and large alike, have run into difficulties through failing to recognize the difference between a human ideal and God's reality, between spiritual community and simply human community. People going through the motions... We can go through the motions. We can fill in the blanks. We can march lockstep. We can do the stuff. But the question is, is it really bearing fruit? Am I really being transformed? Or am I just pretending? When Christians open their hearts to one another, truly, and love and serve one another in their human strength, the result is that Natural desires are awakened, and with natural desires, the vulnerability and emotional entanglements follow in, in the wake of those things. Suspicion, jealousy, and resentment are aroused. It's far too, far too in evidence amongst Christians today. It's just flesh. We think what began in the Spirit ends up in the flesh and brings confusion and disaster. Unfortunately, the natural reaction from those who have been hurt, and I think all of us can look into our experience, the natural reaction is to back away from deep relationships altogether. I'm not going there again. It it took too much out of me. I'm just going to stay here and play it safe. I'll go to church. I'll bring in on the periphery. I'll hear the sermon. I'll worship God privately, but give myself? No. No. He never really did in God's love anyway. Withdraw. We find ourselves withdrawing to a, a safe distance. We erect our defenses precisely to prevent ourselves from being wounded anymore. The fleshly reaction is just another way of destroying the community of love. The devil gets a hold of us and says, you don't want to hurt anymore. Don't risk. Don't put it out there. Don't go back for more. Play it safe. Play it safe. We find ourselves withdrawing. Does Jesus know all about our human desires and our human reactions, do you think? Oh, yeah. 
He saw them in his own disciples firsthand, didn't he? They jockeyed for position. They were jealous of one another. They argued over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Self-seeking. And it wasn't just his disciples then. Later, after he had risen, uh, and the churches were in function, were in, were in action, uh, we see it in all the churches. We tend to typically characterize the Corinthians as, a, as the carnal church, when in fact all of them were. How do we know that? Well, we have all these letters correcting all their problems. <laughs> you wouldn't have half the New Testament if there weren't problems among God's people and God's churches and God's community, constantly correcting them. Duh. But never once did Jesus withdraw his love from his disciples whose lives were not perfectly under the control of the Spirit. Never once. Had he done that, beloved, none of us could have any confidence in our relationship with him whatsoever, could we? As he binds himself to us, In covenant love, he calls us to do the same for each other. So that we will, in fact, help each other grow up into Christ with his love pervading our fellowship. Covenant love. The basis of covenant love is commitment, not natural feelings and desires. When you get married, you enter into a covenant relationship. You make promises. It's not a contract. You say, I promise to do these things with all my energies, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, till death separates us. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. This relationship that God has with us, it's a covenant of love. He's covenanted with us to love us. Irrespective of what we we do. And he's called us to do the very same thing. We commit ourselves to our brothers and sisters because of Christ in them. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, you're seeing Christ in that person. And you want to reverence for him, reverence him, and therefore you will submit to that person. To whatever that person needs. You can literally translate that verse as because you see that person, you see Christ in that person, you say, Jesus, how may I serve you? Jesus, how may I serve you? We give ourselves to them in loving service, laying down our lives, if not literally, certainly figuratively, thinking of their needs and interests even above our own. Beloved, bottom line, community simply demands great personal sacrifice. You have to decide. You have to say, okay, Jesus sacrificed his life for me to bring me into his family, his community. Will I sacrifice my life that I might bring others into community? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Our lives are to be living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Real community will not function without covenant love. Not that it has to be forced. It's not legal. It's a choice. 
It's a commitment. I'm here. You can count on me. I'll never leave. I'll fight to the death to stand with you, to encourage you, to support you, to love you. That's community. That's community. You can't have that without God's love, covenant love. Beloved, without a doubt, the practical experience of life, life in community, will sorely test and stretch the love of anyone and everyone who attempts it. Again, don't think it's going to be a ride on a pink duck. It's not a honeymoon. You're, you, you will be tested. You'll be tried. Your love will be stretched. All the more reason for you to persevere, trusting in God. Lord, I know that you know and you are faithful. I'm going to walk by faith and honor you in my choices. Only God's love given to us by His Spirit will ever make community possible. Simple as that. That's why love, more than anything else, should be the unique feature among Jesus' disciples. I'm going to read to you one last passage from 1 John. And then we're going to get ready for the quiz. You thought I forgot, didn't you? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In other words, he's saying, in effect, if you don't love like this, there's a very real chance you're not born again. And there are tons of Christians in churches today who profess Christianity who are not really saved. How do you know that? Because they do not love. And if perchance they are believers, then they are in rank rebellion and need to repent. That's what the word says. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen. Turn to your neighbor. Give him a holy hug. Whisper in their ear, I love you. We just have enough time for the quiz. Here's a quiz. All right, quit loving each other. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Let me just take a moment and get quiet. Begin to think about some of the things you heard this morning and how you graded yourself, where you fall short. This is a moment of incredible truth. If you looked at all those things and, and, and you said to yourself, you know what, I, I don't love. This is foreign to me. I, I, I'm a mean, unforgiving, selfish person. 
These things that we've talked about really do not characterize my life in any significant way at all. It may be that you really are not a Christian. It may be that you are on the path to hell. He's given us a new commandment that we should love one another. And if you want to be saved, if you want to know God, you must repent. You must acknowledge and say, I do not love. Now, if that applies to anyone in here, I just want you to lift your hand right now. If, if you say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't love, and I'm not loving, and, and I, I need God's forgiveness, and I want Jesus to come into my heart, and I want to be saved. Lift your hand real high so I can see it. Okay. Now, God sees those hands, so don't be fooling around. This is not just a perfunctory exercise. You're making a statement here. You're making a commitment. Okay, put your hands down. Now, there's others of you who, in varying degrees, have been convicted. Is that a fair statement? Where you see yourself falling short in any one or some multiple combination of these different qualities of love. You really do believe you're a believer, but you see that you've been, again, unforgiving, selfish, resentful, bitter, not given to helping and building up others consistently. Now, if that, if that speaks to your heart, then, and, you, and you're ready to repent, you're ready to get on board the train and say, Lord, count me in, I'm, I'm committed, and you're serious about it, then I want you to raise your hand. Okay, now, if you've raised your hand, whether to receive Christ, to settle that issue, or you receive your hand because you're repenting from your disobedience and you're willing to be obedient, I want you to stand right now. Just stand. Okay, let's just, we're just going to pray a prayer of faith here. Just, you hitchhike on my words. God, forgive me. I confess that I have fallen short. I am foolish and selfish. I have not believed in you. I have not really trusted you. I have not really surrendered my life to you. I have not really asked you to deliver me. I have not really confronted my own sin. I do that right now. The whole law, the fulfillment of law, is wrapped up in this law of love, and I see that more clearly than ever. Save me. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. I confess that to you today. I repent. Lord, for others of us who have fallen short in our walk, we also repent. And God, we commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to this walk of faith, obedience, to love. And as we do so, Lord, we expect fully that that we'll experience a new fruitfulness in our life, a new filling of your Spirit Keep us mindful, Lord, of our decision today to serve you and honor you, to love you and to love one another. Father, we give you thanks and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. How many are glad they came today? Okay, not everybody. All right. Can't win them all. Let's stand up and let's sing before we dismiss.